0: Tonight is a very solemn night. As a matter of fact, there are some denominations that because of the solemnity of what is observed on Good Friday forbid the use of any music in their services because they feel that's not fitting. We don't agree with them on that, but this is a night of great solemnity. And I must tell you tonight, I personally have somewhat of a dread about leading this service, because tonight we're going to be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ in a very deep way, and He is watching and listening, and I'd better get it right. (laughs) Tonight we, however, want to deeply look into what our Lord has done for us on the cross. Let's stand and sing
1: the wonderful cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain. I count but loss And pour contempt On all my pride See from His head His hands, His feet Sorrow and love flow love and sorrow me or thorns compose so rich a crown. Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. All oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, all who gather here, by grace draw near and bless your name. Were the whole realm of nature. My soul, my life, my all Oh, the wonderful cross Oh, the wonderful cross Bids me come and die And find that I may truly live Oh, the wonderful cross Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. or the whole realm of nature
0: Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Oh, mighty God, as much as we desire to do so, even though the Holy Spirit witnesses to us, We know, Lord, that it is impossible for us to grasp fully the horror of sin and to grasp fully the worth of the tremendous price paid for our salvation. We ask tonight, O God, for a deep sense of your presence, that you would guide us in our reflections, that whatever degree of gratitude and appreciation we brought with us into this building, may it be greater when we leave. Through Jesus, Amen. You may be seated. I want to read Mark's abbreviated account of that which we observe tonight, beginning with Mark fifteen sixteen. And the soldiers took him away, into a place that is the and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed, spitting at him, kneeling and mockingly bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They pressed him to service to bear his cross. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was a third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him in three languages read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And thus the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads and saying, <laughs> You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. The same way the chief priests also, along with their scribes, are mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe and those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. When the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which is translated, My God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry, Breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Let's sing, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood.
1: There is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunge beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains Sinners plunge beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains The dying thief rejoice to see That fountain in his day And there may I, though vile as he Wash all my sins away Wash all my sins away Wash all my sins away And there may I, though vile as he Wash all my sins away Dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed Church of God be saved to sin no more, be saved to sin no more, be saved. To sin no more till all the ran some church of God be saved. to sin no more ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flow wing supply redeeming love has been my theme, and will be till I die, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall I die, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, lies silent in Lasping, stammering tongue, lie silent in the grave. Amen. Last
0: night, our room was lighted with candles because that was the atmosphere in which Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room, where he instituted the Lord's Supper. After dinner, taking the bread and breaking it and said, This which is broken for you is my body. And also after dinner, he took the last cup called the cup of the blessing and said, All of you drink of this. This is the new covenant in my blood. We commemorated that event last night. Tonight we are still in a candlelit room because very shortly we're going to be joining those who are in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany as they wrestled over what they had seen that day. We can imagine Mary weeping As she thought of the horrible things she had seen her son endure. And surely they discussed what Jesus had said on the cross and wondered what did these things mean? Tonight, our cross is draped in black, the cross is empty. Because four hours ago, Jesus breathed his last. He said, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. And shortly thereafter, his body was taken from the cross, hurriedly prepared for burial, and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, describing this day, said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man Delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Friday night after the crucifixion, it was the eve of the Sabbath, which would have begun at sunset. Peter and John went into the city of Jerusalem, probably to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where they spent Friday night and the Sabbath. We have no idea where Thomas went. He went off somewhere by himself and didn't show up again for almost a week. But the other eight... And the women who had come from Galilee, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleopas, several Marys, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, others, went back to Bethany where they had been spending every night that week. And again, we can hear them in their grief and confusion wrestling with the meaning of it all. Tonight we want to join them in that room and join in their conversation as they pondered the various things that Jesus had said and wondered, what did all of this mean? But before we do that, We want to take some time considering what our Lord physically and spiritually went through for us. Most of you have heard this before. Some of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And only a perverted sadist could have any pleasure or satisfaction And observing what Jesus went through. And most of us want to turn our eyes away. We don't want to look at it. But it is good for us to look at it. To come to a fuller appreciation. For what our Lord did for us. As we look at these things. We see how important it is to hear and remember every word that Jesus said from the cross. Because every word was spoken with great difficulty. First of all, because of the torture that Jesus had endured before the cross, the horrible things he experienced on the cross, and we're going to notice a little bit why it was so difficult to speak. But first consider what Jesus endured before he was crucified. The gospel accounts just make a brief statement. Matthew 26, after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Mark 15:15 after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. John 19, 1, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And Luke makes no comment at all about the scourging. But we need to ponder what that really was. And remember that John 3:16 tells us, God loved in this manner. He gave his only begotten son. One of the most startling statements in scripture was made by Jesus in the garden where he and his disciples had come to pray and the soldiers came to arrest him and Jesus could have called down a host of angels, he himself by his own divine power could have driven them back But John eighteen four says, "Jesus therefore, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth." You see, the things that we're going to review tonight are not situations in which Jesus was passive, but he was, in a way, in charge. <laughs> He went forth, knowing all things that were coming upon him. Roman flogging was supposedly limited to 40 stripes, and so they said you only whip a man 39 times so you don't violate the law and accidentally give him 41 strokes. The Roman soldiers ignored that all the time. The whip that they used consisted of several braided leather strands. And on the end of each strand was a metal ball. And as they struck the person they were scourging, these metal balls would cause severe bruises, which in time often would burst. But also in these woven strands, there also were pieces of bone. And every time the lash was applied, the flesh was shredded all the way from the shoulder down to the upper thigh. Sometimes the shredding was so complete that the spine was even exposed. And the person being whipped bled profusely. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. Some died during the flogging because of the loss of blood. Most experience hypovolemic shock, which is when you've lost so much blood that your heart beats rapidly trying to pump blood that isn't there. The kidneys cut down trying to save fluids. Tremendous thirst. Your body is craving fluids. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him went forth. And so by the time they left the praetorium to head toward Calvary, we might say Jesus' life was already hanging by a thread. And so as they started out, they placed upon his shoulders the patibulum. The patibulum is the horizontal beam on the cross. And he walked a few steps and stumbled. And in the crowd was Simon of Cyrene. They grabbed him. Simon had two sons who later became quite famous in the church, Alexander and Rufus. So Mark, when he said they grabbed Simon, he said he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And he... Bore the patibulum to Calvary, and Jesus stumbled along the way. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. When they arrived at Golgotha, the patibulum was placed upon the ground, and Jesus was placed upon it with his arms outstretched. Such six-inch spikes were driven at the base of his hand. The median nerve, one physician writing about this experience, said it's like hitting your crazy bone, only pinched with pliers, and it won't stop. A word was coined to describe that pain. We use it today. The word is excruciating, which means Out of the cross, Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. Once the nails had been driven, soldiers grabbed the petibulum in an abrupt way, thrust it in a notch on the vertical pole that had already been inserted in the ground. And when that happened, the shoulders were dislocated. Psalm 22, even though when David wrote it, did not know he was writing a psalm that was going to describe the experiences of the crucified Messiah. And in that psalm, the, the poem says, my bones were out of joint. Once that had happened, then the executioner would push the knees up and put one foot across the other and drive a spike through it. And sometimes a spike was driven through the back so that the victim could impale his buttocks upon it and somewhat support himself. This horrible means of execution the Romans designed because they wanted the person to die slowly. And Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. Now suspended in this fashion, the person could inhale but not exhale. And so the only way to exhale was to push your body up, flex your knees, and you could exhale. And you would keep doing that until finally your legs gave out and the air could not be expelled. And then respiratory acidosis developed The unexpelled carbon dioxide caused carbonic acid to develop. And out of that also another rapid heartbeat would develop. And then as a result of the acid, the carbonic acid, there would be pericardial effusion in which the tissues around the heart would begin filling with with fluid. Pleural effusion in which the tissues around the lung would begin filling with fluid. And thus, after Jesus died, you remember a Roman soldier took a spear and thrust it into his right side between the ribs and fluid and blood flowed out as a result of these effusions. Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. The way to hasten a victim's death was just to break his legs so he couldn't breathe anymore. Now when we think about this, every word that Jesus spoke from the cross took tremendous effort. Therefore for us, they are rather A terrible jewel of our faith. But he spoke. The first words were these. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. As Jesus looked down from the cross, he saw the Sadducees. They were there. Jesus had touched their money when he had gone into the temple and turned over the money changers and cleaned out those who were doing business and made the house of prayer a house of merchandise. Pharisees were there. More than once Jesus had exposed these men who said to all the world, We're the most holy around, but Jesus exposed them. As hypocrites and in their embarrassment they came to hate him. The Herodians were there, those that supported Herod. And Jesus and his second cousin John the Baptist had in a large way exposed the horrible, sinful, lasciviousness that existed in the palace of Herod. And the Herod, Herodians hated Jesus. The zealots were there. Jesus had refused to be their tool to advance their political causes. And so these, with political and personal agendas and reasons, were those who at the cross mocked Jesus. Now there was another group also, the Roman soldiers, who didn't really know what they were doing. Truth be told, the Romans wouldn't have done anything had not the Jewish authorities pushed them into it. And yet these rough Roman soldiers enjoyed cruelty. They reveled in the opportunity to inflict pain and cause someone to suffer. Now, they were and are Gentiles. Sometimes you hear people say, we hate the Jews because the Jews are Jesus killers well so were the Romans both Jew and Gentile crucified our Lord and as Jesus looked down from the cross he saw and heard his enemies pouring out their venomous hatred toward him and even the Roman soldiers mocked him as they said, this king of the Jews, in his agony. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In our New Testament, the Greek grammar that says, that has this saying, it is a form of Greek that means something is being said over and over And over again. We can imagine Jesus as on the ground. His arms were stretched out on the patibulum. And a nail being driven in. Each time the hammer blow came down. Father forgive them. Father forgive them. Father forgive them. And then on the cross. Father forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Isaiah foretold this in chapter 53 of Isaiah. He poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. It's somewhat amazing that this crowd could behave this way because they had seen him heal. They knew his character. They saw how devoted he was to Scripture. How could they do this? Remember one time Jesus gave the parable of the sower, and and this was not a parable given to people Saying you need to stop being this kind of soil and that kind. This was a word given to the disciples that were going to go out and preach. And he said, when you go out and preach, here's what's going to happen. Your word will go out. It's going to hit some hard ground. Nothing will happen. Your word will go out. It'll hit stony places. Your word will go out. Some will grab it quickly, but it'll be quickly choked out because they're thorns there some however are good soil and they will accept expect this result when you go out to speak and preach the old saying the same clay that melts the wax hardens the clay and remember jesus many times when he spoke with the pharisees matthew 23 several times he said You are blind, you are blind, you're blind. You don't even see what's in front of you. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But there's this to think about as well. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He knew these were not the real enemy. His real enemy was Satan. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 6. Have you ever thought about what Jesus was really asking God to do was He saying, "Lord, just kind of overlook what they're doing." Any time we look in Scripture and we see sin being forgiven, repentance precedes it or is exhorted. For instance, remember Jesus said to the one man, "Heal at the pool of Bethesda. Don't sin anymore; a worse thing will come upon you." The woman taking adultery, "Go down. Sin no more." I wonder, was Jesus saying, Father, do not rain down wrath upon them. Give them 50 more days like you gave 120 years in the time of Noah, time for repentance. 50 days from now the Holy Spirit will fall on the day of Pentecost. And for the first time, the gospel will be preached. Oh, Lord, don't wreak havoc on them. Now give them time to hear the Holy Spirit-endowed gospel, in my opinion. <laughs> That's really what he was asking. But for you and me, the most important thing, perhaps... Jesus modeled forgiveness, and we are exhorted to follow his example. About about 50 years later, really, Peter wrote his second letter, and here's what he wrote. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated and endure it with patience? You sinned, what do you expect? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Father, forgive them. And we recall in the model prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if we do not forgive them, we cannot expect any forgiveness from God. A strong statement, isn't it? Jesus set the example. The second statement was made to one of the thieves. At first, both of them were reviling. Think of this. They had to inhale push themselves up, and speak reviling marks to Jesus over and over again. But along the way, one of them changed. Perhaps he heard the words of Jesus. We don't know what happened in his heart, but something did. And he said to the other thief, Do you even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly were receiving what we deserve for our needs. This man has done nothing wrong. And you remember, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so the second statement that Jesus made on the cross was this. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Think about that. This thief was the only one, the only recorded <coughs> protest, at least in Scripture, the only one who protested the slander and ridicule that Jesus was enduring. Notice this thief. He obviously was repentant. We're getting what we deserve, not him. He called Jesus Lord. He made a public confession of his faith. Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he appealed to Christ to the degree he understood, we would say, for salvation. Christ promised to save him, and Christ promised that he would be with him that day. Now think about this. Not long after that, Jesus died. But the two thieves lingered on until almost sunset when the Roman soldiers came and broke their legs. The Jews said, it's against the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, to have someone hang on a tree Uh, On the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath starts at sunset, so you have to kill these guys and get them down. And so they came with some kind of clubs and broke their legs, and they died. This one thief, (laughs) the very moment he breathed his last, found Jesus waiting for him. What a marvelous thing to think about. The Apostle Paul said, You know, it's better for you all if I stick around, but better for me if I go and be with Christ. We're only given a fleeting glimpse of Jesus' activity between the time of his death and his resurrection, and that glimpse is given in 2 Peter 3. In which it says that Jesus went, and the Greek word there is Kerux, which really means proclaimed. He wasn't evangelizing, wasn't preaching a salvation message. But he went and proclaimed to them what had happened. The prisons, uh, those who were dead and waiting the judgment day. The one thief, when he died, went into Hades to wait eternal judgment. The other thief, when he died, went in the presence of Jesus to wait the judgment day when he would begin to spend eternal glory with our Lord. The most important truth for us out of that is those of us who have received Christ. When we die, enter his very presence into a life that we cannot begin to imagine pain death sorrow gone paul wrote in romans 838 i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers height, nor depth, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The third statement, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. It seems that when God chose to send his son to be born of a virgin, in a way he called an entire family to be involved. John the Baptist, for example, was Jesus' second cousin. James and John, the apostles, were Jesus' first cousins. Their mother was the sister of Mary another interesting note there is absolutely no scriptural record of Jesus ever calling Mary mother he always used in the Greek at least as it is in our New Testament the word gune respectful word for woman much like we might respectfully say to a a woman (laughs) ma'am dare I add any humor here I was at Phil's Diner a while back. And I said to the waitress, thank you, ma'am. She said, don't say ma'am to me. I said, well, ma'am, that's the way I've always spoken to ladies. She said, I'm not a lady. (laughs) But we address a woman respectfully. Yes, ma'am. At least that's the way I was brought up. (laughs) And that's the term Jesus always used for Mary. Interesting, isn't it? He never called her mother, but it was always respectfully woman. In the agony of death, the most important thing that had happened In all of the history of humanity, yes, of the universe, since the creation and the fall was happening. And in the midst of that, Jesus was concerned for his mother. We know that only two events in the Bible we ever see Jesus focusing on himself. One is in the garden when he cried out, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the second one on the cross, which you'll notice a little bit later, he cried out, I thirst. Every other record we have of Jesus is he was focusing on others. Jesus was fulfilling his earthly responsibility. Paul wrote to Timothy, If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The word translated, grandchildren, some say nephews. The Greek literally means descendants. So a widow woman who has descendants, God says take care of her. If you have an aged father... God says, take care of him. The point is, family should take care of family. And that was important to Jesus as he hung on the cross. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Mark 7, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. He who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. You say, if a man says to his father and mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by is something I've dedicated to God you no longer permit that man to do anything for his father and mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things just like that. The point is, Jesus expects us, regardless of how holy we might be, to fulfill our earthly responsibility. And then the fourth statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken?